May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight to the Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if you've heard the story of Frank Abagnale or not, um, but he was a master imposter who um, was able to defraud uh, people out of millions of dollars in 26 different countries. When he was just 16 years old, he, he um, called the, uh, the, uh, the offices at the Pan Am fly, uh, company, uh, the, the airline, and told them that he was a pilot whose uniform had been ruined in a dry cleaning accident and that he needed a, a uniform quickly because he had to catch his next flight. They sent out a new uniform, complete with a new um, uh, employee identification card, to a 16-year-old boy who pretended to be a pilot and for two years flew all over the world on Pan Am doing these deadhead flights or you just catch free uh, flight where there's an open seat for a pilot. He flew all over the world, uh, stayed in all sorts of hotels in some of the finest cities in the world, ate out on Pan Am's dime, you know, and, and ordered all kinds of uh, fancy meals and wine and everything, and managed to do this for two years. He, um, he also, at uh, one point, forged a certificate from, the university, uh, from Harvard University Law School and a transcript. He took it to Louisiana, where he took and passed the state bar exam and got a job working for the Attorney General of the state of Louisiana. He did this when he was 19 years old. After that, he became the chief resident of pediatrics at a Georgia hospital and managed to get by for about almost a year by doing what supervisors do, you know, delegating the actual work to subordinates. Until one day, he accidentally was the only doctor on call, and there was a baby who wasn't breathing. And his lack of medical knowledge almost cost that child its life. One day, he was um, getting off of a plane, in Pan, one of the Pan Am flights that he had jumped, and was walking by a rental car company, and he saw this drop box where all the rental car companies would take their cash deposits, and they would put it in the drop box, and then later the, um, the armored car service would come by and pick it up. So um, Mr. Abagnale went out and he, he rented himself a, um, a uh, security guard outfit. He took a post in the security guard's office and he put a sign on the drop box that said, drop box out of order, leave deposits with the security guard. And everybody dutifully did exactly as they were told. He was later arrested. He spent time in jails all over the world. Most of, most of the time he spent in jails in the United States, 12 years in a U.S. prison. Um, he said, though, in interviews, it was amazing how easy it was to trick people. It really didn't take much work at all. A lab coat, you know, a, 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 a police officer's shield. Get the right credential, and people just assume uh, that you've done what it requires to get that credential. So it's hard to spot a really expert fraud, isn't it? But there are some that we know, like right away, you know. You know this person is not who they If the IRS calls and asks for your Social Security number, it is not the IRS. I mean, I, I hope you know that, right? They know everything about you. They know your Social Security number. If you get an email from a Nigerian princess who wants to park $10 million in your bank account for the weekend and will happily give you a 10% finder's fee for doing so, it is not a Nigerian princess. It's a 300-pound guy named Norman in Lansing, Michigan, okay? This is not, this is not what you think it is. <laughs> it, it, if someone offers to make you rich and famous, um, 
pay them a little bit of money and they'll make you a model. Let me tell you, careers at Vogue do not begin in Dan's garage. You know, this is not, this is not the path to, to wealth and riches and fame. Sometimes it's hard to spot a con. Sometimes it's really easy to spot a con. But here's the one that I want you to think about today. What about you? How well do you know yourself? Genothi Siautan. This is, a, this is a, one of the most famous axioms in the history of the world. It means know thyself. Know thyself. This is something that Plato and, um, and Aristotle and Socrates all kicked around. This was one of the, the real stumpers for them. Know thyself. There are a lot of ramifications of that, right? Know your limitations. Know the possibilities that exist. I mean, know your place, I suppose. But what about motives? Know your motives. For weeks now, we've been in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We're all the way up to chapter 3 <laughs> after several weeks of this. Um, dealing with Paul's letter to the Corinthians and um, just a little back background, Paul goes to the city of Corinth in southern Greece. It is a, um, it is a major uh, center of commerce and, um, and trade. It is a port city. It's international importance. It was by far the most important city in Greece of its day, maybe one of the most important cities in the world. It was, to the ancient world, what New York is to ours. And also as a center then, obviously, of, of culture and philosophy and learning, but a city of great licentiousness and excess and immorality as well. And Paul goes to the city and he plants a church and he stays there for a while. And then he does what missionaries do. He, R-U-N-N-O-F-T. You know, <laughs> he done run off. Um, you know, this is what he did. He, he didn't really abandon them, but he did like leave and go from Corinth around to, on another mission trip and, and, and planted other churches. And at one point he's in the city of Ephesus in what is modern day Turkey and he gets a letter. It's a letter from Corinth. It comes from a group of people who meet in this woman Chloe's house. Maybe Chloe's the pastor of the church, hard to tell. But he, they, they meet in Chloe's house, and the letter details all the things that are going on in the church in Corinth. And it is like a, a wild place. Um, Paul writes a letter in response, and he wants to, to itemize each of the issues. He starts off, you know, like you do in letters. He was very nice and kind and says, you know, I love you. It's great to, to, to know that you're well, and I'm praying for you. And very subtly, don't forget what God called you to be, holy people. And then he switches gears, and he goes from being um, Paul, the you know the con uh, you know congenial uh, friend, to all of a sudden Paul, the prosecuting attorney, and and he starts to deal with the first issue. And the first issue is that there are serious factions in the church. People won't won't spend time together. They, I, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. You know, they, they won't meet together. They won't. They're at odds with one another. They're not at odds over doctrine. They're at odds over uh, leadership personalities, and, and it's causing a great disturbance in the church. And Paul begins to tell them, you remember. Remember how it was that you came to faith in Christ? It wasn't because I was this great preacher, Paul says. It was because I gave you the simple message, and all of a sudden you saw the power of the Spirit at work, and you came to faith. And he concludes that second chapter, says, but now you're acting like, listen to this, natural people. You're acting like natural people, people who are uh, just by nature the way that humans act. And then he contrasts that, not like spiritual people. You're thinking like 
like natural people, not like spiritual people. Here's how he ends it. It's not in the bulletin, so just listen to this. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. We're not like natural people who have the spirit of the world. We, are, we have a, a special gift. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, would you take your bulletin and look with me at the, at the epistle lesson, the New Testament lesson? Look what he does in the very beginning of this, of this passage. This is part of his other. But I, brothers, I think it means brothers and sisters. Adelphoi in Greek is, uh, is, you know, is a masculine term, but it, it, could, it includes both. Uh, now, I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I could not address you as spiritual, but as people of the flesh. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Suktiktas uh, uh, is how he says this. This word, it's where we get the same word from psyche. Um, you are natural people. People who think, um, you know, who have a natural mindset. The, the mindset that is, uh, that is common to all people who come into the world. But you are not pneumatikos. You are not spiritual. I can't talk to you like spiritual people, even though you should be. Even though you, in fact, are, you are spiritual people, but I can't talk to you like spiritual people, only like, like natural people. Because, look at this, did you see what he said? You are people of the flesh. In Paul's world, there are two types of people. There are spiritual people, people who have been born of the Holy Spirit, they have come to faith in Christ, they know God, they have, they have the Holy Spirit residing within them, and there are people who are born in the world without the Holy Spirit. That we all come in the world natural. We all come in the same way, according to Paul. Every single person who's ever lived comes in with the exact same disposition. That is, that they have inside of them both the, the, um, the awareness that they are made for God, but also that they are distant from him. And that they are, they are bent towards a nature that, that wants to take care of self. But when they come to Christ, that there's this new life that springs up. But there's one other thing that continues to go on. So you've got natural people and spiritual people. But look, did you see? You are people of the flesh, he says. Infants in Christ. He doesn't de-Christianize them. They are in Christ. You see that? They are in Christ. They are totally Christian people. No de-Christianizing going on here. And yet they're still struggling with this other issue, this sarkanoise, this this issue of the flesh. I, I looked at different translations to see, you know, how do other people deal with this? The NIV has, you are a worldly people. Most of us sort of think that's a compliment, you know, like, oh, you know, she travels so much. She's such a worldly person. No, that's not what it means, not in that way. Um, the old King James, carnal. I would like to speak to you as spiritual, but ye are yet carnal, it says. That's such an archaic term. It's a great term, but it's so difficult because we don't use it in any other way in, in our lives. Flesh probably is the best because it's an accurate translation of the word. It actually means flesh. But you know it's more than that. It's it's the inward desire. It's the desire for self-pleasure, for self-protection, for self-gratification. Here's what the flesh says. Inwardly. This This is the inward flesh. I know you like ice cream. Have one. Have another. Put toppings on it this time. 
You can do better. You, you know that voice. Have you ever heard that voice? No, you've never heard that voice. I hear that voice all the time, you know. Cookies are good for you, Joe, you know. No, they're not. Um, the, the flesh says, oh, pull those covers back up. It is warm in here. It is cold out there. Look, it's still dark outside. Nobody gets up when it's dark outside. Stay right where you are. It's okay to lust after that woman. Come on. It's okay to want more money, to long for it, plan for it, to desire it. This is what the flesh says inwardly. It tells you. And you know. You know this is not the right voice. We all know. It's the voice that that rails against morality. To please the self. So there are only two conditions of people. There are natural people. People born in the world who have not come to know Christ. And people who are born in the world who have come to know Christ. Everybody comes in natural. Some of them become spiritual people. But we all struggle with the flesh. And the issue here is Paul is saying... That coming to Christ does not immediately make you able to withstand or overcome the, the, the pleadings of the flesh. Coming to Christ does not immediately free you from the power of the flesh. It does not. And, and it sounds like Paul is sort of passing judgment on these people, isn't he? Like, hey, come on, who are you, buddy, you know? Listen to what he says. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving in only a human way? He's not insulting them, calling them babies. This isn't like, oh, you know, my brother used to say that to me all the time. I had an older brother. Oh, you're such a baby, Joe. You know, like, shut up, I'm not a baby. I'm a big boy. I'm 18. You know, I, I, I can, I, this, is, this is not that sort of thing. He's saying you're acting in ways that is, are infantile. Because you're striving with one another. You're fighting with one another. You are immature and young. And then Paul uses three different metaphors to describe what this is like. Babies, of course, this is a biology metaphor, right? Children, you know, little children who grow up to be adults. This is what Christians do. They come into the world as babies, and they should grow up in immaturity, become mature saints in God. He uses another one, planting. You know, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Here's a plant metaphor. You take little seeds, I have Sons who are farmers. I can't, I, I, I can barely grow weeds. But they, you know, they, they plant seeds. They, they till the, they, they take care of everything. They, they, they pull out the weeds from around it. They cultivate these plants. And they grow. And they produce food. This is another metaphor. Paul said, I, I planted a pile of water. God is going to give the growth. He expects that people are going to grow up into maturity. And he even throws a third one in. It's kind of a fastball. You almost miss it. It's in verse 9. You are God's building, an architectural metaphor. All of these metaphors say the same thing. The Christian life, is there is an expectation that we grow up into maturity, that people do not stay where they are when they come to Christ, that there is a transformation process that goes on, and it goes on throughout our entire lives that we continue to become more and more like Christ. And Paul knows, Corinthians, you live in one of the wildest cities in the world. There's going to be a steep curve for you all. I'm really disappointed in you. You've not yet begun to grow. All this time, even now, years later, still acting like babies. The work of the Spirit is to suppress, and I think eventually destroy, the flesh. 
This is what Christ comes to do for us. He comes to transform us, to make us different kinds of people, that we act and think differently, that we become different types of human beings. I tried to think of of an analogy, and this is the one I came up with. Later on, you can tell me it's horrible, but I think it's good, okay? Your life is an airplane. When you are born into this world, you take off. You are flying. And guess what? The flesh is in the pilot seat. It is controlling that plane. I mean, it knows what it wants to do. It goes where it wants to go. You're like, no, don't do that. That could be dangerous, you know, and, and, and you're off to one side or another. But when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into the cockpit. Guess what the flesh does? It holds on. I'm not letting go. I'm still flying this plane. And the more that we we obey and listen to the voice of the Spirit, the more that the flesh loses control, loses grip on those controls. And keep doing it. Keep listening to the Spirit. Keep walking with the Spirit. Keep in a life of prayer. Keep a, you know finding your way to church and hearing the Word and, and coming to the sacraments. And, and the grip of, that the flesh has loosens more and more until eventually it gets out of the, the seat. But you know what happens? Even when the Holy Spirit gets control of the plane, the flesh doesn't immediately leave the cockpit. It's still hanging out there. It's still yelling. Oh, you know what? You, know, you don't need to listen to that Spirit. You don't have to do that way. But the more that we trust in God, the more that we walk with the Spirit, eventually, flesh leaves the cockpit back there in the cabin. But the flesh is a really big mouth and is very unruly. It's a very annoying sort of passenger upon the plane. Keeps yelling even from the back of the plane. Sometimes you're like, oh my word, where did that come from? St. Paul says to the Corinthians, the flesh is still flying the plane. You know, it's really about self-gratification, self-preservation. The life of Jesus isn't controlling your actions. There's a, a story about a, a group of tourists who are in this rural village in Italy. And, and they're walking down this cobblestone path and they see this older fellow sitting on a wall. And this woman kind of walks up to him and sort of, um, sort of in a patronizing way says to him, um, Were any great men born in this city? And he said, No, only babies. We do not come out of the womb as fully mature adults. <laughs> Thank God, right? We do not come out of the womb. We do not go through life as fully mature adults. It takes time. And any good parent knows it takes discipline. You have to disciple children. The child has to embrace self-discipline in order to become a really mature adult. We're not born mature adults. In the same way, we're not born mature Christians. We come to faith, believe in Jesus, yes. But is he in control? Does he control everything? See, that's, that's the path to maturation. That's the path of growth, of becoming more and more like Christ in this world. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes self-discipline. But baby Christians can become mature ones. They can become saints. But it can be a very sad thing to see someone who's been in the church for 20 or 30 or 40 years and they still act like a baby Christian. Know yourself. I think Paul would have said, that's a good place to start. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.